It's wonderful to be together this morning. Um, if you are new or you don't know who I am, my name is Gabriel Phillips. I'm married to this amazingly beautiful woman in the front. She is Fiona. And we have the, the privilege of being on the, on the team here at Life Changes, and I get to preach this morning. And then we're going to interview a couple of friends. We're going to have a whole lot of fun. We've been away in America the last three and a half weeks, the land of milk and honey, or the land of Donald Trump. He is a real person. We, got to, we saw him in the flesh, and uh, the two gingers, we connected, and, and I just knew. <sighs> Brilliant. A wise, wise man, Donald Trump. Not really. Not really. But anyway. But I want to tell you that uh, we left Los Angeles on Thursday evening at around 5 p.m. We flew 16 hours. We had eight hours overlay in, in Dubai where we, we sweated it out in Dubai Airport in the humidity. And then we had another 10-hour flight yesterday back to Cape Town. So I want to say some of you struggled to get out of bed this morning, but I did all that to get to church this morning. Just want to say, what is your excuse? <laughs> I'm just joking. No condemnation. But seriously, come on. But... um. We really are excited to be home. We really believe that Cape Town is the greatest city in the world. We saw some amazing things, but this is the city that God has chosen. I know it. I just feel it. See, I'm already getting Pentecostal because I was in America. <laughs> Haven't even started preaching yet. But I uh, just, I don't know about you, but I used to grow up in, in, in Zimbabwe, and whenever somebody went on a holiday, we were all quite amazed about it. So we would gather, the whole road would come and gather when they got back, and they would show their pictures. Did, did anyone do that? Go and visit people and then see their their photos from their holiday. Do, does, do anyone do this anymore? Well, we don't have many friends to show stuff to anyway, so I thought I'd do it this morning. Is that all right? <laughs> Just going to show you a brief thing. We had the privilege of going. Part of it was holiday. We went to a wedding, but a lot of it went to a conference the last week. We were so inspired. We met with amazing people. So we want to show you a few photos, if that's all right. Let me jump down here. Well, this, that's my beautiful wife at the bottom. This is Radio City in America. Quick story, in New York, in New York, the Big Big Apple, Radio City, a famous concert place. We were walking past, and uh, we saw this sign saying, AGT, America's Got Talent. And uh, we walked past on one of our first nights there, and we said, hey, how do we get tickets to this thing? <laughs> I've never watched an episode in my life. And the lady at the front said to us, uh, it's the last night tonight. I'm, I'm sorry, this is the finale tonight. We're like, ah, oh, that sucks. She says, do you guys want to come? We're like, yeah. She said, give me a second. She ran in got two tickets, and said, go on in. So we got to be at the finale. Yeah, amazing. And we knew, hmm, this is going to be a good trip. They give out free things for everything. But uh, this was us. So we got in, and the next picture, very quickly, this was the finale of America's Got Talent. We were there just to let you in on the secret. This has got nothing to do with preaching. Just thought I'd tell you. Um, you know when they go to advert breaks at live TV shows? You know, they go to, we'll be back. You wonder, what are the audience doing during that time? I'll tell you now. <laughs> let me tell you. They have a live comedian who comes out, a guy who's different, came out, and a live comedian would keep the crowd entertained while they were at advert breaks. And they would film the off-the-cuff things that the judges say. The judges, oh, they're just having banter that they are doing. It's all scripted. They bring the script, and they're reading things, and they did those, those like chilled moments three or four times. I'm like, frauds! But I know. But anyway, but it was amazing. It was phenomenal to be. We had no clue who the competitors were, so we cheered every single one of them. Share your favorites. This one. Okay, anyway, that's enough of that. The next photo. This is Fiona and I in Times Square, which is bigger and larger than life. It is something so phenomenal. Uh, New York is a ridiculous city. It's crazy. And this is Hillsong, New York. 
So we went and got to visit that. That is the, the big eagle himself. We got to Hillsong, New York, and they had Brian Houston. Brian Houston preaching. And it was amazing. We, we loved it. The next photo, in New York, we also met with this guy, Rob Tifakoyo, who I grew up with in Zimbabwe. He's now in Philadelphia. And he, he got, got a train to come talk to us. He's just, he, had a, he moved to America because he had a kidney failure. And he was about to die. And a church in America who hardly knew him, one guy in the church knew him, paid over 200,000 US dollars so that he could have a kidney transplant. They, 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 they hounded uh, Congress, the, the, the local Congress, to change rules so that, that he could get put on the kidney list because he's not an American citizen. The church, they didn't know him, changed the laws of the state, paid money, and a guy in the church donated his kidney so that he could live. Amazing. This guy did not get, in Zimbabwe, we have O-levels and A-levels. He, he failed O-levels the first time, passed it at the second attempt, and that was the end of his schooling career. He's now there. He's on staff there now, and they're training him up to plant a church, and he's just written his first book. It's unbelievable. It's just, it's just the sort of thing. He's one of my best friends, and when we, when we get to meet up in Chipotle, 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 I called it. So it's like a Mexican restaurant. They're all Chipotle. I'm like, Chipotle. Anyway, anyway, so we met up with him there, and we get to and we get to share in what God is doing. It's just phenomenal just to see what God can do when when we surrender to Him. There's no no situations that's too hard for God, and I love the fact that a community of faith that doesn't even know somebody is able to give a man and a family a future. And I'm saying, do it here, Lord. Do it with us as well. Next picture, that is the American skyline. Just thought I'd throw that in there. The next picture. This is in Boston. Not a great photo, I know. But it was late at night. We caught trains to go and visit. We About three different trains to go and visit with this guy. If you go back to that photo very quickly. So, yeah. This guy, Justin Donlon and his family, three years ago, they were in Bryanston Church in Joburg. And they heard the call of God. They went to go and take over a church in Boston. Moved their whole family. Went there. The church that they were supposed to take over fell through. It didn't happen. So, they had moved there. And it didn't come about. Uh, and it's so frustrating, so sad for them. But we sing with them, and they, they decided instead they, they went through tough time, and she, they were l- missing home and feeling so lonely and wishing, God, why have you brought us here? And it didn't come through. And yet they picked themselves up off the floor, and they're planting the, uh, a church from, the, from scratch. They've got 10 people, and they're starting a, a church in Boston. And we got to spend an evening with them and praying with them. And it was just a phenomenal evening meeting heroes, people who've given up everything because they've heard the voice of God. It's not working out amazingly. Some of it, there's tough times, there's hard times, and yet there was such faith. And it just stirred my heart. We were in Hillsong, New York, which is pumping and so inspiring. And then we're meeting a guy who's planting with 10 people. And I was like, God, use me, use me. The next one, we went up to Reading. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember the, the man in the middle, Dean Rass. He used to lead worship here. About two years ago, he and his wife left. They've gone to Bethel Church in California, and they are thriving. They've got a, a beautiful baby boy. And next to us, there's Judy Scott, who's in the church still. And she's gone over there for a conference. She'll be back tomorrow or Tuesday. And we got to go to Bethel, which was amazing. We had the guy who wrote the song, This is Amazing Grace, led us in worship, which was amazing. And uh, not the song Amazing Grace. That guy's dead, just to let you know. The, the other one. Just thought I'd put it out there. Like, wow, amazing. Charles Wesley, how did he get there? Anyway, that was there. Bethel was phenomenal. And then finally, we went to uh, Malibu, the next photo here. And uh, we were there and joined by a familiar face. I don't know if you guys know that guy there with the, the, the chin thing there. That's Mark Van Pletzen. 
He met us there in Malibu, and we were at a conference there, a church plant with about 80 other church planters, people planting in America, a guy who leads a church in Dubai, people from around the world, just a, a phenomenal time of teaching, equipping, and encouragement. And, and these are some of our friends from those two in the front, in the middle there, husband and wife from Pretoria. They're on eldership with Rory Dyer. And uh, they were there because they, they're involved in leading that community. And that's another girl, Anthea, on the left from church in 3CI there. So it was a privilege to be able to, to get together and celebrate what God is doing. And America is amazing. But again, I'll say, there's no place like home. It's good to be home. Wonderful. So I think that's all the photos. Click on over. You see? Yes, there we go. Perfect. So as I said, traveled for nearly a day. I have not lived Friday. I don't know where it went. We left Thursday evening, had breakfast Friday morning. We land in Dubai, and they, it's evening, and we're having dinner. I'm like, I don't know. So if, if a, a detective one day comes to me and says, where were you on the Friday the 9th? I say, I don't know. I'm not too sure. I really don't know. It just went. It's phenomenal. Time travel. It exists. But if you're wondering, is he jet lagged? I want to tell you, I've had this thing in my pocket for years, so indulge me. I'm not jet lagged. Today I'm preaching with jet swag. Hmm. Come on. Sorry, I just had to say that. So if you're okay, as, we, as I get myself ready to preach for 15 minutes, turn to your neighbor and say, he ain't jet lagged, he's got jet swag. It's how they do it in America. Wonderful, wonderful. Just to update you, we are in the series, My Money, My God. We're very excited. I've just listened to some of the sermons of the last few weeks. They've been phenomenal. I don't know if you were here for Malcolm Herbert two weeks ago. Three, three weeks ago, he was amazing. Mark smashed it out the park. We are blessed with amazing preachers at this church. Really, really are. So really encouraged what God is doing. But if you're wanting to know, just if you are visiting, just want to give this almost a disclaimer, and you're saying, the church are preaching about money again. Much less than the American church, so don't worry. Um, but this is the third series on money that this church has ever done in 16 years, which is, I think, too little. We've said too little because Jesus, if you want to know, in the Gospels, he talks about money more than he speaks about hell. Jesus does because he knows that money is an idol. And we know that. So we want to speak into it. And we're not preaching, as Malcolm said, we're not preaching to your pockets. We want to preach to your heart. We, know, uh, we really believe Warwick Stratum a few years ago said this quote. He said, Jesus doesn't, uh, he doesn't want to have your money. He just doesn't want your money to have you. Jesus doesn't need your money. I promise you he doesn't need your money, but he knows that he wants our hearts. And he knows that money can get in and distort things very, very quickly. We believe this whole series is not about money primarily. It's about freedom. And we want freedom on every level. Not just a church on a Sunday, but freedom is a reality. When Christ gets in, freedom happens on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It infects every area of our lives, our relationships, our wallets, our hearts, our everything. Freedom for Christ. Christ has set us free for freedom's sake. That is why we're preaching this series. Tim Keller, a quote that's come up a lot in the series, says that our hearts are an idol factory. And don't we know it? That our hearts, just when we think that we've got our hearts under control, another idol pops up. And we find we're serving different gods. Maybe not gods carved out of stone, but gods, gods that lead us astray and make us spend money on this thing and spend our emotions on this thing and spend our energy on this thing. Things that take away, anything that takes away from our love for God is an idol. And I want to say, Tim Keller said this, said sometimes the, the major sins, we call them, the big sins, you know, lust or this thing, or pride, these things get in and, and they're easy to see. But greed is a subtle thing. Because we always can say, I'm not, that, I'm not as greedy as that guy. 
So it's always, it's a relative thing. So greed is a scary thing because sometimes it's sneaky and it gets in there. And that's why we need the word to bring this thing to light so that we don't get ensnared by the traps of this world. Uh, we want to tell you that we're not preaching a prosperity gospel. We do not believe in a prosperity gospel. I grew up in a, in a country where this was preached. One day they used to have sermons before the offering. Anyone know those churches? Love those ones. Bless them. But we had a church that used to say this thing. If you, if you want Mercedes-Benz living, you can't have go-kart giving. What? That's what was preached. And they would go, woo! Preach it. I'm like, where is that in the Bible? <laughs> Beautiful, that rhymes, so it must be true. But, but we don't believe in a prosperity gospel because he's not the Godfather. Where if you give this, he'll give back to me. That's not who he is. He's not Father Christmas checking his list. Have you been naughty or nice? Okay, you've been good. I'm now going to bless you. You've been giving now. That's not who he is. But also on the same breath, we don't believe in a poverty gospel. A poverty gospel is celebrate saying, because I have nothing, I'm much more spiritual. Can I tell you, if you have to put any word in front of the gospel to describe what you believe, it's no longer the gospel. It's not. Jesus told you, I came to preach the gospel. Of who? Jesus Christ. Not of get rich and get wealthy. Not of not, you have nothing at all. It's about the gospel. And that's what we're wanting to preach today in this in the series. So our grid and our lens is that he is our father. I think the whole way through the Bible, if we read the Bible without the lens and knowledge that knowing that he is our father and he's for us and he's not against us and he wants good things for us. If we know that he's our father, we get to understand all these things in greater depth and clarity. Is that cool? Everyone all right? Good. This morning, nothing fancy, just a little bit of uh, recap and, uh, and a few other new things, and then we're going to get up two incredible men up on stage and interview them. But there are three postures, three postures when in the breadth of Scripture about how we are to deal with money. And I'm going to give us those three postures. They're nothing new. We've heard them in the series. But number one is stewardship. Stewardship. Genesis 1 verse 28 starts off the first frame of Scripture. God says to man, says, I, I, I want you to increase. I want you to be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion, subdue the earth. He gives man this mandate. He gives us authority, and he says, the planet is yours. He does this incredible, incredible thing. But the amazing thing for me, let me just read it if you want to know what stewardship is. Tim Keller describes a steward, and the quote will come up behind me. Said a steward is a person who has been entrusted with another's resources and who seeks to manage those resources according to the owner's vision and values. Now, Tim Keller went on in his book and he describes he says, the gospel calls us to recognize that everything we have, everything we have is a gift from God, and that those gifts are to be used for his glory and to further his kingdom. Scripture even calls Christi Christians caretakers of God's gifts and truth. So this is for me. Two words that come that help me understand stewardship in a greater light, and, and especially with the Genesis 1.28 mandate, is that God has given us authority, but in, with one hand authority and the other hand accountability. Stewardship is knowing that we've been given authority, but authority that has accountability with it. Now, for us to understand this, the greater, for me, a greatest description is a rental car. Mark has said it, and he says, nothing revs like a rental car. You know, you know, it's when you get a rental car, it's almost like you can do what you want because you know you don't have to, you don't, the consequences aren't yours. Give it back, whatever, it's not mine. 
So much so that you might even be on your way to the LAX Los Angeles International Airport and uh, one of your friends is driving a rental car, I'm just saying no names, and driving the rental car and you missed the turn off on the big freeway. I'm just saying this might have happened, it might not have, just saying. And because it's a rental, you feel in Los Angeles, because you missed your turn off, you can reverse down the freeway. Just saying. It might have happened, it might not have. Mark Van Pets, it might have, might not have happened. Just saying. He's not here, so it's okay. But I think we live like that a lot with, with our money, but with everything in our life, we sometimes live with the fact that, you know, I can just do what, with it what I please because there's going to be no accountability. But I strongly believe that God gave me this wife. I did not find it wasn't my skill or my good flirting skills. I know. When I say flirting, I did this. That's not going to work. I, it, I don't know. I want to tell you, God gave me this woman. And he gave, he said, have authority, you have authority to lead her, to love her, to lay your life down for her. But there will be accountability because she's my girl. So one day when I say, God, my wife, he goes, no, no, that's my girl. That's my girl. Authority, I don't abdicate it. Now, I don't, I'm not going to ever lead her because, no, I take the authority, but stewardship of my wife is me having authority, but knowing there's like, I have to, I'll have to one day give an account for it. For you, sir, ma'am, those are not your kids that your skillful lovemaking did. I promise you, God gave you those kids. They're a gift from God. And he says, you have authority to love them, to lead them, to steward them. But there will be accountability in what you did with them. Because they are there for, for the glory of God. Same thing for everything. You say, my house is not mine. My, my job is not mine. He gave it to me. It's a gift from God. God says, he gives us the ability to produce wealth. Not the skill of my hands. I promise you, God gave us everything. And, he said, and He's so good. He's so generous. He says, it's yours. Have authority. Use it. But not without accountability. And that's the incredible understanding of stewardship. Is that knowing that, understanding this, this dichotomy that, that God is, He is our master. And in a sense, we are slaves to Him. Not in a, in a, in a dictatorial way. But the Bible says that we are slaves to righteousness. We know he has set us free, so we're no longer slaves to the law, no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to him in the sense of what he says goes in our life because we know it leads to freedom and joy. And it's a powerful thing because the Bible goes on and on and says, it says, it said, it says man cannot serve two masters. So we have to choose. Stewardship is basically making a decision who is the master of our wallet. Stewardship is saying, who's the master of my marriage? Who decides what happens in my job? Who decides what happens in my emotions? Me? My circumstances? My wife? The Lord. We get to choose. We get to choose. And I think that's what stewardship is, is saying. God would, we have to say, God, we need to master our money or the money will master us. It's, there's no two ways about it. The Bible says you cannot serve two masters. If you, if you, if you are not master, master of your money, if you're not stewarding that thing with authority and accountability, that thing will rule your life. And, it's, and, and I know this as a young man. Um, so God, my prayer is God master me and my wallet. Be Lord of my wallet. Louis Giglio did this incredible thing. He did this, this, uh, this Louis Giglio who leads passion, uh, worldwide phenomenon with worship, and it's a church in Atlanta. And uh, he did this, uh, this example years ago. He had a massive table filled with American dollar bills. It was packed, and this, it, was, it was huge. 
And, uh, and then he came with a big divider, and he pushed 10% on one side, and he says, and he, and he was preaching on tithing, which Mark did an excellent job of last week. If you have some thoughts around tithing, we're a church that believes in tithing. Please go listen to it. But I want to say this. It's not just about tithing. If that is our lens, do you know what the, the understanding is? We say we can, we can give God 10%, and I can do the, what I like with the rest. That's his, this is mine. Can I tell you? It's all his. Because otherwise, we start living in a situation where we start thinking God is a waiter. How much do I owe this guy? 10%. Let me give him, he did a, yeah, did a good job. Let me give him 10% today. We start treating our tithe as if, as if God, hey, God's been good to me, so I'm going to give him 10%. As if he's served us well. No, he's the master. It's all his. He's given us everything. He says, you have, a stewardship is not saying, God, I'll give you 10% and I'm going to do what I like with the night. It's saying, God, it's all yours. How am I going to use all of this for your glory? That's the attitude. And this is, it's tough stuff, but we've got to get into it. I, I really believe that tithing is a starting point. It's just where we start. But God wants dominion. He wants rulership, lordship over all of us. I don't want to keep going because we've heard a lot of this over the last few weeks. But stewardship is posture number one. Posture number two is contentment. Everyone all right? Everyone okay? Good. The story continues. Genesis 3, just for time's sake, the sin gets in. Satan starts to distort this thing. As man has given, been given authority and accountability, Satan comes and says, God's given you everything, but what about that tree? Don't you want that as well? Come on. And content, discontentment comes up in the heart of man. And, 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 and Adam sins. We know, you probably know the story if you've been around church any length of time. But I, want to, I really believe that when we don't allow God to be king in an area, any area, we allow our appetites to take over. Let me explain. Appetites. You, you are not ruled by your appetite. You are not ruled by your appetite. Carnal, fleshly people, we sometimes say, uh, men say, listen, I'm a man. I'm ruled by my penis. Man lives like that. When I, when I am when I'm lustful, I will take a woman like a, when we, oh, I'll go to pornography whenever I feel like it. Can I tell you, men, we're not ruled by our appetites. Sex is a gift from God, and it's a blessing, and it's from God for our joy. But he says, you, deter, you get to determine your appetite. I'm going to have it in an in a area. But I don't, I don't want to preach about sex. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, well, I do, but I'm not going to. But, but our appetites as well. I don't know if for, you've maybe met a young teenager. I'm so hungry I could die. They're not really going to die. They just, yeah, I'm starving. There's nothing in the oh. you know. But that's, we, we live like that. Sometimes with our money as well, we, we're never content. We live in this, this world of keeping up with the Joneses. Or in America, keeping up with the Kardashians. Or here, keeping up with the Shabalalas. You know, we... We struggle with this thing where we're always looking over what other people, what we don't have. We always, we ruled by what we don't have, and we think, I'll just be happier when I get there. A, a guy said, I heard him the other week saying this, if you look in terms of the sexuality in this, in this story of contentment, big ministers, pastors who have affairs, you go look at, now this is not a, a horrible critique, but you go look at the woman they had an affair with, they're often not as pretty as their wife. It's truth. It's just they want what they can, don't have. It's not a desire. Oh, it's, and we live like that. Even with our money, we live what we want, what we don't, just don't have. 
And some that won't even satisfy. It's just a silly thing. But I really believe it. The Bible calls it this. We call it keeping up with the Joneses. The Bible calls it this. Greed. Lust. Idolatry. Sometimes we like to call this a, no, you know, keep, I'm just, you know, I want to keep up with my friends. You know, I'm doing it culturally. I've got to be relevant, you know. You don't know what my job is. The people need to see me in a cool car. Really? The Bible calls it something else. And I think we need to understand that. There's a scripture in the Bible that I love, and I think all of us could quote it. We've got it on a coffee cup, or, or sportsmen, the rugby players tattoo it on their arm, and spiritual, they say, ah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Anyone quoted that before? It's beautiful, beautiful scripture. Let me give you the context of that. Philippians chapter 4, go read, so that comes in verse 13, the two verses preceding that. Paul is talking about money. He says, I know what it's like to have a lot. The next thing, comma, I know what it is like to have nothing. And he says, but I, because of Christ, I am content. For through Christ, who strengthens me, I can do all things. He is talking about money. He's talking about being content. We're, now, we're not saying it's wrong to be rich. We're not saying it's wrong to have little. We're saying that, it, that Christ determines the contented nature of our hearts, not our circumstances. When our circumstances or our bank balance determines our joy, our happiness, our success feeling, how, we, how, how healthy we're feeling, then I'll tell you your bank balance is your God. Who determines how you feel on a Monday morning? Who determines how you feel when, the, when things aren't going well? Who determines how you feel when things are going well and the bonus check comes? Is there joy in the 13th check? For me, contentedness is huge, and we'll learn a little bit more about that with interviews now. Final posture, for time's sake. Number one, stewardship. Number two, contentment. Number three is generosity. Personal favorite. Genesis 12, the story continues as man gives up authority and accountability. Genesis 12, God reinstates it into a man who was very unchristian, a man named Abram, who is now the father of our faith. When the promise came to him, he was a man who was still finding his way with God. God is a good God. He's very kind. He says to Abram in, in Genesis 12, he says, Abram, I want to bless you. Now, don't hear what we're not saying. God is for blessing. He's a good God. He's a generous father. But he says this. He carries on. He says, I want to bless you so that you will be a blessing to every nation of the earth that all the families of the world will be blessed through you. God blesses so that we can be a blessing. If the blessing stops with us, again, it's called idolatry. I want to believe this so much that John 3, 16, you probably know it if you've been in church. If not, it says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. I have that underlined in my Bible. If you want to know the nature and character of God, and you say, and you feel if you're going through a tough time, God's holding out on me. God's nature is that He's a God that so loves that He gives. He gives, He gives, He gives. And I love this. And I, I really believe so strongly that we are never more like God than when we are being generous. Because it's who He is. The character of the Father is a generous Father. He's not stingy. He's not holding out on us. And I believe this again, that our generosity does not start with the state of our bank account. It starts with our view of God. The most, some of the most generous people I've met are people who do not have full bank accounts. But they've seen God. They've got full revelation of who He is. It's a phenomenal thing. There's a story. Years ago, I, growing up as a teenager, and my mom and dad's home, a mission trip came, an opportunity to go to the Congo came up. 
and I was 17, it was a five-week trip to the Congo. We had to fly in there, and the Congo is an expensive place to fly into. And the trip, five weeks, it was very expensive, but I, I just felt I had to go. And not, um, as a teenager does, not really knowing what, how much money my parents had. Just had food every night, so I thought it was good enough, you know. And, uh, and they said, no, we, we really feel you should go. Little did I know, for me to go, my parents sold our second car to fund my trip to the Congo. This trip was a phenomenal time where God spoke, set things in motion that changed and altered the course of my life and what I'd give my future to. It changed everything. And it was a phenomenal thing because I loved that for me because my parents sowed at great cost not knowing what the fruit would be. They had no clue what the fruit was. It was an invisible future. But by faith, they sowed, sowed at great cost generously into my life. And only the full ramifications of what that was has hit me recently. And it's a profound thing. And this is the understanding for me, is that we are called as a people to sow even when we do not see. That's who we're called. If we understand who our God is, the Father, He said He gave His Son, and this was way before any of us responded to the gospel. He gave us in advance as a down payment. And we are people who are called to sow even when we do not see the fruit that's in our barns already, and we're not able to see what is yet to come. But we're called to sow generously. The Bible talks about this. Paul, in the Gospels, he talks about, he describes money in two ways. He said, we have to understand, they use the, the, the illustration of money and people who steward it as farmers. Maybe language we don't really understand too well now in our city context. But he sp speaks about, he says, we have to understand money. There's two ways to view money, seed and bread. And now this is huge for us, seed and bread. Every salary we get, we have to view it through the lens of some of it is bread for us to consume and eat and pay off our bills and make, make sure things are happening in our lives. But a lot of it is seed to sow. Now, I think the Western context is saying this is your salary for your enjoyment, for your life, but your budget is pushed to the right to the limits so that we actually, what we're doing is we're eating all of our seed. Can I tell you, farmers know, if you eat that seed, there's going to be no crop in the future. Now, this is not legalistic. Again, you know our heart is not about put your seed in the ground. and try. No, it's nothing like that. It's, it's just understanding that God gives us bread and seed, bread to eat and seed to sow. And we have the authority, stewardship, and we have to understand the accountability to know how much is bread and what is seed and how we are going to sow it, even if we're not going to see the fruit of it yet. That's called generosity. I thought that was good. My final thoughts on this is that you cannot outgive the giver. God says this once. He said, test me in this. Do you know what he wanted us to test him in? Generosity. Giving. He said, test me in this. Watch and see what I will do. God will never remain in your debt. He will never. I'm telling you, I've for years, tithed and given money. And I've often, I remember as an insecure person, I would have added it up and said, oh, I could have gone, oh, I could have done a lot with that money. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else thinks like me. Maybe I'm just carnal and wicked like that. Possibly. Pray for me. But, uh, but I, I really believe that, that God, if we think that, that God's in our debt because we're generous to Him, what is that? God, is a, God will never remain in your debt. He will give, he will, will, He'll restore to you so much more. Uh, final thought here yeah? is in, in, in Israel, you might have heard this before, but I think it's really 
a strong truth. There's two rivers that flow out of, two seas that flow out of the Sea of Galilee. One is called the Red Sea. The other is called the Dead Sea. The Red Sea is teeming with life. Fish, abundance. People find the agriculture is happening around. Life is happening, teeming out of the Red Sea. Out of the same source, the Sea of Galilee gives source to the Dead Sea, where there's no life. Nothing grows. It's a, a phenomenon. Nothing happens there. Can I tell you the incredible thing is, both rivers have the same source. The only difference is the Red Sea has an outlet. The Dead Sea doesn't. Let me say that again. Both have the same source. Only one has an outlet. We are called, we are blessed to be a blessing. The gospel has called us to be conduits. Everything we are given, we're supposed to pass on into the, into the gospel and into what God has called us. So this eve, this morning, this evening, this morning, I don't know where we're at. I want to finish this morning by calling up two amazing men, and, and hopefully they'll put some, some practical framework around these thoughts. Uh, I hope it's okay. I hope it's encouraged. So I'm going to call up incredible man, Rian van der Verstezen. I'm going to call him up to take up seats. This is his family. And uh, these are three beautiful children, and there's his wife, Maria. Take a seat. Any seats? Whichever one. There's nothing hidden underneath it. There's no prize. Don't worry. And the other man is Cornell, uh, Cornell and Ansonel. That's them there, and they have a baby. I could not find a photo that had their baby in it, so there's their baby. And I thought if I had lost the crowd by this stage, I'll just show a picture of a baby. It wins them all back every time. Right, so we're going to ask them a few questions, and uh, they're going to give a few answers. We're going to pass the mic around if that's all right, and uh, want to find out a few things from them. So Rian, firstly... Uh, can you introduce to us, introduce yourself to us, introduce us to you? No, introduce yourself to us. And uh, can you give us just an update just on, on your story? The last year has been a year and a bit, has been a phenomenal time, a profound time where your life has not always been easy, but things have changed. And uh, can you bring us up to speed with what has changed and uh, the process that your family is going through? Hi, good morning. Yeah, I've, uh, I've got a lovely wife called Maria. And God's blessed us with three beautiful boys. <coughs> my wife's originally from the UK. So, um, yeah, she ran under my umbrella. I went to a function, and that's how it all started. Um, yeah, so we've, we've spent quite a bit of time in the UK. I've lived in the UK on and off probably for five years. And uh, I really believe that it was key in, in, in how God shaped us and how we view our finances. Our initial plan was to go to the UK, save up some pounds, and come back and, and buy some property. Which, um, which is what we did. But in that, in that journey, God showed us that, and, you know, that you go across with a vision of, if we can only come back with 30,000 pounds, wouldn't that be amazing? And then you hit that goal, and then all of a sudden you go, well, if we stay another six months, we could have 40,000 pounds. And then we came to realize, and we looked at each other, and we were like, where is this going to end? When will this end? When will it ever be enough? Um, yeah, needless to say, we came back, we built a house, and the way that we started our journey back here in South Africa was uh, we were fortunate enough that the bank actually gave us finance to, to finish building our house. But we had chosen at that time, because I was in between jobs, to do it over a period of six years. So to contextualize it, we had a house um, with two bedrooms that was finished and a bathroom. And I built a small little makeshift kitchen for my wife. And it literally took us six years to finish our house. So it was hard, but... Looking back now um, and seeing how, how that actually brought us to maturity and how we deal with what God has entrusted to us, um, 
it's just been amazing. It really has been amazing. And yeah, the last two years um, has been an interesting journey. Uh, well, about two and a half years ago, I really felt God convict me around contentment. And um, I really felt him saying to me, if the salary that you're earning right now, if that salary never increases, because I think, I know for myself, you always look at the annual salary increase, you look at the performance bonuses, and you know, that was big. I was like, sure, okay, Lord. So if I look at what I'm earning right now, if, if that's what I'm going to earn for the rest of my life, am I content? Am I happy? Am I, will this be good? And that, that was huge. At the same time, um, which I think sort of led to, to, to me getting, you know, and asking those questions and God planting that question in my heart was my dad, my dad runs his own business and he just hit a wall and everything just fell apart. He lost his house um, and it was, it was a big wake up. And um, what that led to was my wife and I, we then said, well, we've got a property where, where we've invested most of our finances in. And um, we, we've, got to, we've got to try and do something with this asset. And uh, we, we put our house on the market for, I can only tell you, probably 10,000 rand a month above any rental property in the area. Um, and that came about, I, I, we ha I was having dinner with a friend of mine, and I said, Just, I, really, I really feel I've got to do something with this asset. Um, what do you think I should rent it for? And, and he, he actually said to me, you know what, put it on the market for, for 10,000 rand more than what, what everybody else is asking. I was like, Are you sh really? And I said to my wife, you know what, let's do this thing. And I was very clear. I said, I said to the Lord, you know, if this is going to happen, we want to be the rental agents. I don't want any in between. I want to hold the deposit for the people renting my house. Um, but we also need somewhere to live so that financially this thing could work. So I'm renting my house and I'm making a little bit of extra income. And I, I, I can just tell you that it, it's... it's it's only God's favor and his direction. I mean, our house is still being rented. Um, and in hindsight now, so February this year, I was retrenched. So last year, having a bit of extra income from our house, um, we saved it. And I, I can only tell you right now that that was just God preparing us for this time right now. So I'm still unemployed. Well, unemployed, it's not that I'm not working. I'm doing things that God brings across my path. But I know for a fact that if I hadn't saved the money last year, it would be panic stations, literally. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just, just walking in, 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 um, in obedience and, and just simplifying things. Um, our cars are 10 years old. Well, my wife did write the one car off, so we were able to buy another one. But I wouldn't recommend that. But, but really, just, just the, the whole thing of, of just looking at the, 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 the kind of debt that, that, that you know, you, you, you accumulate or that you, that you get locked into. I, both my wife and I, we, we uh, I'd like to think that we, 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 we fight the system to an extent. Um, and, and really, you know, so what? I love cars. I, don't get me wrong. I love cars. I used to trade. I used to buy and sell cars. I, yeah. Um, but for me, it, it's just, and I can only, I can only tell you that it's, it's not, it's not me. But that's really God just changing my heart. Because when you start looking at worldly things, there's always more. There's always better. Uh, and it's only through, through His change in our lives that you're able to say, you know what? What I actually have is fine. Uh, and, and, and not always wanting that more. So, yeah. Um, obviously, on a different scale, because um, 
simplification for, for Fiona and I, we, we, we've got a little rule in our home that if we ever buy something new or we get given a new, for example, a T-shirt, we have to give an existing one away. We just live in that simple reality. We, we don't want to ever be hoarders. I, we, I've met too many people who hoard stuff. I once met a family who have kept every U magazine since 1980 in their home. You don't want to be those people. You just don't. And I think, but we, we do that easily. Tell us your journey of simplification. Um, how have you led your family in that? How are you, you hear from God, we want to go this way. How do you lead your wife or your kids in that journey? How do you, yeah, how do you, how do you know? Are they practical things? I think it's a, simplifying your life, I think, is a, is a very tough question. It's a very tough thing to do. Um, if, in, if you're married or if you're in a relationship, if, if your wife's not on the same page, I, I really think it's, a, it's almost an impossible thing to try and attempt. Because if the one's going left and the other one's going right, I, I think to try and achieve that, that road where you're walking and you're going, you know what, we don't really need this. Um, therefore, let's just do with what we have. Um, more on a, on, a, on a family context, so with us having three boys, uh, it's just being real and sharing with them. Like the fact that we, uh, the house that we live in now is a lot smaller than the house that we own. Um, and, just, and just being honest and open with them and saying to them, this is why we're doing it. And, and not, and not yeah, I, you know, I, I grew up in, a, in an Afrikaans home where it was, you know, my father holds the, the financial side of things and it, it, it all just always looks good and great. And, and yeah, but for me, it's, it's, been, it's been one of, of um, my wife fully understands and fully knows exactly where and what's being spent. Um, and I don't expect her to carry that burden. I, I, I can see that, that the, and I know this, that God has created us differently. And the way I deal with financial stress and the way my wife deals with financial stress is very, very different. So God has called, I know as a man, he's called me to, to a level of protecting her from that, but also to have, be totally transparent. So simplicity to me, I think, is transparency is key. Um, not just your, your wife, but your children as well. Obviously, with your kids, you've got to feed them as much as they can handle at that stage. But, um, but yeah, just being transparent. This incredible man here, Cornell, is a, n- a new dad. And Cornell, just for, for you, you've got a phenomenal story, but just for time's sake, uh, you're also in the process of making big lifestyle changes uh, with, with things changing your family. Can you bring us up to speed? Yeah, so um, like I guess I'll, I'll skip some of uh, those sort of other stories for, for time's sake, but just very briefly, um, sort of I, I got involved in the debt counseling industry, which helps people who are solving financial issues uh, a while back. I'm not actually involved there anymore. But it was this journey God took me on to teach me so much about finances and the pitfalls and the bad sides and the good sides. Because my job was sitting with people and hearing their horrible stories of their finances. And so, so it was something that prepped me. And, and so like Gabe said, we have a, a, a little one. My daughter's now four and a half months old. And, I mean, it's a, it's a vast change in every aspect of your life, finances just being one of them. And, and it was really a tough journey. Gabe talked about sort of the contentment. You know, you... Before that, we were in this position, both my, me and my wife have really good jobs, and you know, you're sort of really comfortable, and you can go on, and you have enough saved up, and, and everything's sort of going really well, and then suddenly, you, know, you, you have a child, and there's all these things you have to prep, you have to buy all these things to get ready, uh, and now you have a, have a daughter, and, and we've now consequently sat down and, and, and talked about this. My wife's decided she's going back to work, but only a half day, which means that has a big financial implication. You know, so, so you go through this journey, and, and it's a big adjustment. Suddenly you have to go sit down and say, okay, what are the priorities in our lives? You know, what are the, the things that we value? 
um, and valuing raising our daughter well, valuing that part being more important than having all of these other things. And, and that's what we had to make, you know, and, and, and making those adjustments, which are hard. And, and I want to sort of, I made notes while you were talking because I felt it was brilliant and I wanted to, to link to some of them, you know. And, and Gabe talked about the stewardship side. And, and I think it's what I, a big part of what I learned was this process. The only reason we could sort of make this adjustment was because we know exactly where we are in our finances. And, and uh, you know, at that point, we're like, we have a really detailed budget. We're, we're a little bit perfectionistic, both of us. So we literally sort of have every receipt gets captured. And so we know where every cent of our money goes. And, and not everybody has to do that. That's just our personality traits, right? So we're a bit over the top, I know. But, you know, just the amount of, because I know that, I know where every cent goes. I know exactly, this is what we get in in a month. This is what we spend in every month. Uh, you know, it made that adjustment easier because I go, okay, you know, these, these pieces I can actually cut. These pieces I can. And, uh, and for me, that's part of the stewardship side. How can I have authority over my money if I don't know what's going on there? You know, how can I have accountability to God on it if I can't even know what's, if I can't account for myself what's going on in my money? And, and it gives you that power to say, okay, we have to make this decision. What are the financial implications of that decision of my, my wife working half day, you know? What is that going to mean? We get this X amount less in every month. You know, how do I handle that? How do I, I, how do I just do that? You know, um, and and um, I, have, I have some notes. You know, um, and also things even like generosity because it's the same thing. You know, we had we uh, although tithing is also a really big thing for us when we do that. Over and above that, we actually do other things and support some missionaries and stuff. But you know, and and we also had to sit down and make that call and say, you know. Um, there's this financial implication. What do we do of that side of our giving? You know, how do we handle that? Do we go and downscale that? Do we just what do you do? And it's it's a tough call. We're going like every cent now counts all of a sudden. Every cent you go, I'm just gonna make it. You know, so suddenly you have to make those calls and and, and sort of to go. But you know, if God called me to be generous, not just first thing going, oh, yeah, I'm gonna give that up, but really going to God and saying. What is it that you see me doing with my money? With all of these things, where do I cut? What do I cut? Um, and and, and uh, this piece that I'm giving away, you know, do I take it? I gave talk about the seed. And is there something God told us long ago? He said, you know, he gives us, like, he gives us bread and he gives us seed. And, and although sowing is vitally important, we also learned this lesson that if you sow the bread, it won't grow. Bread doesn't grow. So, and, and we've made a mistake. We, we, God gives you something that's actually bread, something you should be using for your family and spending. If you serve it, it's, it's going to rot. It's not going to grow. And so it's vital that you actually sit down and, and talk about that and, and pray about that and say, God, but, you know, we are making this change. What, what are we, you know, we going to do? And what, what do you want where? I think that deserves a round of applause. Did well. Very cool. Just around... Uh, debt management and, and budgeting and, and those things, how do you reconcile budgeting, uh, which, which in, in, in layman's terms is quite, can be quite strict, how do you do budgeting, uh, reconcile that with living a life of faith in your finances? Uh, so for me, sort of, it's, just, it, it, it's about the fact that I budget because I, I want to know where I am, you know. And, and I've just seen this, like, w there was a stage when we just moved down to Cape Town. It's about eight years ago now. Um, my wife and I moved down, and we moved down for her having a work opportunity. So I quit my job when we moved down. So I was unemployed. We got this. Of course, it was also very tight. And we had a budget at that point as well. And we, we, you know, we had a budget. And somehow, at the end of the month, our budget would say we would, uh, should have negative amount left. And somehow, we always had a thousand rand left at the end of the month. 
up to today, I don't know how. I don't know what happened, you know. So it's sort of, I don't know, but I still have all those spreadsheets. I have the maths that said we should have been negative and we weren't. So you, you know, so it goes with that for me. Actually, but what I've seen, I, it, it actually showed me God's generosity because I have a budget. I know where I'm spending. Um, still, God provides for you. And, and sometimes God will call you to be generous when you say, I can't really afford this, you know. I know I can't afford this. But stepping out and you see how God provides. And, and it, it bec- it's really tangible because I can see exactly, like, I, I shouldn't be making this much, you know. I, I know I have, don't have a, that, that, that leeway in my budget, but I would still see God provide. You know, and it, it's that for me. It's like um, living in faith doesn't mean you live blindly. You know, it's never meant that, not just in my area. I'm not living blindly. It's not that I don't know. It's not that I'm not aware of risks, you know, with whatever it is. My daughter was a bit sick. You know, it's the same thing. Like, I, we trust for healing, but we don't live blindly to the, the issues around, yes, when a baby gets sick, it can be quite serious, you know. So, yes, we trust God. We still take it to the doctor, and we go like, oh, we don't know what to do, right? Um, it, you don't live blindly. That doesn't mean you, you, you don't live in faith. I think we just the uh, incredible the privilege of being on staff here. Uh, you hear incredible stories. I just saw a good friend of mine, Andrew McPherson, who just had breakthrough with a job. Um, just there's jobs opening up. We've been trusting it. The fast a few weeks ago, we we're praying for big breakthrough in finances so that people can come into space. I think that's the thing that God, we, we learned this when Mark first came down. He spoke about the word for salvation in, in, in the Greek is yasa, meaning spaciousness. And God wants us to have spaciousness so, so, that, so that we can show his kingdom. Not so that we can, don't, so that the stress of life is not on us. But God wants to put space in our lives, space in our budgets, space in our hearts, so that we're able to serve him wholeheartedly. Rian, final thoughts. Have you had 30 seconds to, to lay one truth down for us, or to appeal to our hearts? What would you say? <laughs> I wasn't briefed on that one. Now, I think, I think something that Cornell uh, just said, which is key, is living in faith is not living in blindness and, and being aware of your, of your financial situation. And it's a, it's, it's a very fine line. There's a tension between the two because am I, you know, Lord, am I trusting you or am I controlling it? You know, is it? And for me right now, it's just everything that God brings across my path, I just do it to the best of my ability. Um, and I give him honor and glory through that, and I do it as I do it unto him, be it, yeah, I'm doing all sorts of odd little jobs at the moment, but it's, yeah, it's just really key. In acknowledging him and his involvement in your life, um, so whatever comes across your path, acknowledge him in that, um, and do it your utmost best as if you're doing it unto him. Same question, Cornell. Last chance. I got a little bit more time. So. <laughs> But he's still my finger. Um, so I, I think for me, um, sort of, um, the, the one thing is that's like sort of dear in my, my finances is, is, is the thing like of, of just the knowledge and the insight. It's, it's something like, oh, that's stewardship. It's like, just know where you are, you know. And, and when I did rape counseling, the number one thing if I say to people, you know, you would sit with people and they couldn't even tell you what they earned. But you ask them, so what do you earn a month? They can't tell you. So, I mean, even on that base level, just you don't have to have as detailed a budget as I do. That's not what's necessarily required. But that knowledge is key. Know where you are in your finances. 
It's the only way you can make a plan. It's the only way you can go to God and say, God, I, I can see I'm going into a problem. I can read a story about like, having the sort of, you know, God takes you through a journey of saving. If you don't even know where you are, God can't take you through that journey because you, you don't know where you are. And so he can't sort of, you know, guide you. So that's my main thing. Know where you are. These guys are amazing. And uh, I'm going to ask them afterwards, if you want to pray for them, from them, or you want to pray for them, you can as well. But pray from them. They're going to be up front and a whole bunch of guys. Come in if you have questions. And create no better men to chat through, through financial issues with. But I'd love to pray for us, if that's all right. Um, if you, we really believe in, with finances that, that freedom comes not based on a formula. We wish I could give you a formula for financial freedom, that you could punch in, and, and if I do this, do this, plus this, will mean financial freedom. Freedom is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And, and, and I, can't, I can't stress even more in, in every area. If you're, one, if you're new and you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you, you get to know him. Get to know him because he brings freedom in financial areas. He brings freedom in our sexuality. He brings freedom in relational areas. He brings freedom in emotions. He brings freedom in every area. He wants to bring freedom. But I think particularly today, he wants to bring freedom in our finances and our hearts and our, and our attitudes towards the king. So if you're saying, God, on any of these areas, I, I want to I be faithful to you, this God. I need faith in my finances. I want to be more generous. God, would you st- you've stirred my heart on one of these things. I'm going to ask you just to stand very quickly so I can pray. Father, as we stand this morning and we respond, maybe it's to a, something that we haven't even said, but your spirit has spoken. Whatever it is, God, I pray right now for us as a church, You've called us to be people who are not ruled by fear. We're not ruled by lack of what we don't have in our budget or what we do have. We are ruled by faith, God. And I thank you, God, as, as, as Cornell and Rian have said, faith is not blindly just doing things, but faith is, is believing in what we do not see. And we do not see you, Father. Maybe even now we do not see freedom, we do not see space, but we know that you are good and that you are God, and that you are for us. So in every area, God, I pray right now for, for, for you to put, you're putting authority back in our hands, where maybe we have, we have done bad, we've spent badly, maybe we're in debt up to our heads, and we don't know how to get out, but you're reminding us that you've given us authority. And God, we'll call, we'll bring stewardship to light. I pray, God, for people who are wrestling with what, what's the next thing, and, and never being settled, never being content in what you've placed in their hands. God, I pray for the spirit of contentedness to settle in us, God. And we're not content because of our bank balance. We're content because you promise us that you never leave us nor forsake us. And Father, I pray, God, would you pour out the spirit of generosity on us as a church? Would we be a people who are, are lavishly generous, like those, that church who, who paid thousands, multiple thousands for an, uh, a Zimbabwean man to have a kidney? God, would we be generous on the big things, on the small things, and faithfully so, God? Would you do this in our hearts? We pray for our, this amazing church. We want freedom in every area. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.